And a very warm welcome to God Botherers with me, Rob Bethel, the layman. And me, the Reverend Martin Little. This is a podcast for those of you who are a little bit curious about this thing called Christianity. What do Christians believe? What do Christians do? And most importantly, to be a Christian, do I have to believe in a bearded sky god? No, no you don't. So join us as we openly explore Christian ideas about life whilst hopefully having a laugh along the way. Hello, Martin. Hello, Rob. <laughs> you say that in exactly the same way every time. It's, it's perfect. Love it. I'm nothing <laughs> if not consistent. You're such a professional. <laughs> How do you, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just always the same thing. You're just editing it back in from a previous week. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anybody. How are you? I'm very well, Rob. I'm very well. As I was saying to you earlier on, I've had a very busy weekend with lots of good stuff, um, lots of celebration, um, good ministry stuff with various people of all different ages. So it's been a it's been a good week uh, and a good weekend of parish work, uh, and I'm now feeling a bit tired, but that's okay. Bless you. But you're you're the true professional. You are. You're here. You've turned up. Ready to pod. Raring to go. Good. <laughs> How about you, man? How's things with you? Yes, okay, thank you. Um, I had a bit of a change of plan uh, today. I met a friend in Wells, and uh, we went to the cathedral. Oh, lovely. Had a, a, a brief tour round. The, the, the tour guide was excellent. Yes, I've, I've, I've been on the Wells Cathedral tour. It's very good. Yeah, it's brilliant. Fascinating. Um, I love Wales Cathedral. I I love mm. how light it is in there. Um, got a sort of simplicity to to the architecture that's really nice. I really like mm. it. And I bought a lovely little prayer icon. This has probably got a specific name. Yeah. So the the one on the left is um, it's sort of I think it's usually called the Pantocrator. Oh. Which is Christ as the as the ruler of the universe? Oh, there you go. Um, although he's he's holding holding a gospel book there and uh, got his hand up in blessing, and then you have a and then you have the Virgin and Child. Yes. So there were a few, and I like the fact this had um, mm. the Virgin Mary and uh, Jesus as a as a mm. child, and also Jesus. As you say, as a ruler of the universe. Um, so yeah. yeah, but they're, they're beautiful. There is something really enticing about that type of artwork. Um, I find, at least, anyway. Are you? Are you? Yeah. Have you got any icons? I do. I do. I have a few. I have some nearby. I've got one within arm's reach. Let's have a look. Which is the? Uh, oh. The- yeah, the Virgin and Child of Vladimir, which is quite a famous one, Byzantine. Wow, um, icon. It's very, it's very tender. The 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 um, Jesus and and his mother of are sort of resting their cheeks on one, in, one yeah. another. It's very lovely. Yes, it's also um, it's also really sad. You know, Mary has a really sad look in her eyes. I think. I mean, the, there's all this, as you know, there's all this symbolism with icons that she's looking forward to the, you know, looking ahead rather to the crucifixion. Yeah. And so she, you know, because the the Bible says that she, you know, a sword will pierce your own heart, and 
and uh, she she she's she sort of stored up all these feelings and and reflections in her heart um Mm. reading the gospels about about what her son was going to have to go through so you see all of that sort of in mary's face you know they're they're amazing amazing things icons absolutely wonderful i think the more you look into them yeah in, in in both ways like look into them as in just look at them but also look into the um the meanings of them that they're incredibly rich and and uh and beautiful yeah i'm looking forward actually to looking into what all the different symbols because you've got different hand gestures and text yeah, yeah. around the place and where their eyes yeah. are looking and all sorts yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a there's a wonderful book by rowan williams oh yeah which i think is called something like dwelling in light or something i think it's called um it's a series of reflections on icons which oh, is very good right okay and these so the icons uh from greece are they there's two broad traditions i think there's greek ones and there's russian ones yeah um and you know other countries around about those two main centers of orthodoxy yeah Yeah. whereas the protestants sort of were a little bit against this sort of thing is that fair to say uh well before even before the reformation you've got the the schism so you've got the catholic church as well which has doesn't have a tradition it does now have a tradition of icons because these things have got sort of reblended. But it, um, the Catholic art tends to be more uh, certainly after the Renaissance tends to be more influenced by classical art and sculpture. So it's much more realistic and lifelike. Whereas in the Eastern Church, they stayed very very heavy with the symbols. You know, they didn't go for naturalism. Whereas in the, yeah. in, the in the West. They went for this more naturalistic thing, so yeah, you get the yeah, great yeah. Renaissance, you know, Michelangelo and um, yes. people like that. So you know, which, I see. Um, so it's a, it, from an art history point of view, it's very interesting, but it's also interesting in terms of um, spirituality. You know, anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say we could do a whole podcast. Should we scrap this one? <laughs> and just talk about icons? Because it's uh, it's very no, I think, interesting. I think I think we should I think we should go for the Bible because um, without without the Bible, actually, uh, icons wouldn't make any sense. So. Oh well, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Uh, is it called a Segway? Segway. Segway. Which is also weirdly one of those things, those electric scooter things that you write about on. Yeah. In like in like I don't know. That's Chicago why it confuses me. That's why it confuses me. I don't understand. Right, okay, well, let's get on. This week, Martin, we're talking about the Bible. Yeah! The book that is the keystone text of Western civilization. It has been translated into more languages than any other text in history and is the most published book since the invention of the printing press. It's... Effect on Western civilization cannot be overstated. It has heavily influenced art, literature, and music, as well as social, economic, and political developments, contributing to the Western civilization's emphasis on human rights and the value of the individual. But the Bible is not just one book, roughly speaking, it's a collection of 66 
books, roughly speaking. That yes, that's the short answer. Yes, yes, the short. We we could go into that. Uh, written by around forty authors. Well, again, we could go into that. Yes, um, from the years between uh, twelve hundred BC to hundred AD, and that again is rough uh so there's two major sections of the christian bible known as the old testament which is made up of the hebrew jewish books and the new testament which is based upon jesus's life and teachings and that of the early christian church so the bible can be seen as an academic curiosity but uh what does the bible mean to christians martin Hmm. Well, great question. I mean, the the you you wouldn't really have Christianity without the Bible, um, and you wouldn't really have the Bible without Christianity. I would say. But what does it mean to us? Well, you know, the sort of short answer, I suppose, from my perspective, is that um, it it leads us to Jesus. Um, so for me, the Christian faith is about the person of Jesus, um, and Thankfully, rather a lot was written about the person of Jesus. I mean, amazingly, nothing was written virtually about his first 30 years, right? Mm. So we know Mm. a little bit about his birth. We know a little bit about him when he was 12, and then nothing until he starts preaching publicly. So so it's always worth pointing out that (laughs) although we know a a lot about Jesus from the Bible, and that's why it's so precious to us, um. There's also, I mean, St. John at the end of his gospel says, you know, if all the things that Jesus did were written down, he says, I suppose the world couldn't contain all the books that would be written. Um, So even the the Bible itself testifies to its own gaps, which is fascinating. Mm. Um, But it brings us very, very close to who Jesus was and is. And Mm. that's, that's why it's so sacred. Now, you could, you could, so I'm getting, I'm diving in a little bit, but you've got to start somewhere, I think, with it. Um, it's such a big, vast, um, it's more like a library than a book. Yeah. Um, we tend to have a Bible between two covers, but um, actually the, the Hebrew scriptures originally um, were on big, big scrolls, and you could only fit sort of one book on one scroll, as it were. So, so mm-hmm. you know, when Jesus in Luke chapter 4 talks about taking out, he's in the synagogue and he talks about taking out the scroll of Isaiah. It was this great big thing that they had to get out and unravel, you know. Um, no. so, so we think of it as this sort of pocket-sized thing, but actually it, it's, it's more like a library. Um, in some ways, the, 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 the sheer size of an individual Bible is quite deceptive. It suggests that it's like a novel. Mm. It's not really like a novel. It's more like an anthology or a compendium of different things. So um, uh, so the, the two parts of the Bible, what, what Christians call the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, some people have said, why don't we get rid of the Old Testament? Hmm. Does uh, Keeping the Old Testament, does it also help with the overall narrative of the Christian story? I mean, is there a narrative there? Yeah, there is a narrative. I mean, there's there's the there's the narrative of Israel, and then there's a the narrative of Jesus and the church. So um, N.T. Wright, who I think we've quoted before in this podcast, a very very helpful um, uh, Bible scholar, and he mm. talks about um, the the story of the Christian faith or the story of the the scriptures as being like a five act play. 
And I'll see if I can remember what the five acts are. <laughs> so the first one you've got, and this is the story that this isn't the order in which the Bible was written. This is the 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 um this is the the way the story unfolds. Right, it's important to make that distinction. But the you've got the creation is Act One, so the beginning mm-hmm. of everything. Genesis means create, you know, means beginning. So in the beginning is the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, so you've got Genesis, which is the creation. Um, then you've got um you've got the fall. Right now, again, that's quite a Protestant way of thinking about it. But the fall is what we is how we describe what happened with Adam and Eve. So again, in the story, God creates things that are good. Human beings mess it up, and it goes wrong. So that's the mm-hmm. second act of the play. Right, big disaster. Right, sin comes into the world. You know, brokenness comes into the world. That's the fall. The third act of the play is uh, is Israel. So the story of Israel, the Jewish people, um, how they. Um, the name Israel, the word Israel, means um, means wrestles with God. That's what it means. Um, and it uh, it's the story of how the Jewish people, they received the law, the Ten Commandments. They received ways to live and ways to, if you, as it were, uh, get back uh, in relationship with God. So, so that whole story of Israel that we read in the Old Testament that then culminates in Jesus. Now, Jesus is the fourth act of the play. So that the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. He starts preaching about the kingdom of God, and for Christians, he's he's God uh, uh, incarnate. He's God come mm. to earth to be one of his people, and so that's the fourth act of the play is Jesus um, focusing on his death and resurrection, and the fifth act of the play is the church, and the fifth uh, act yes, is is right. the part that comes uh, after the resurrection, after the ascension. Jesus returns to heaven, and the church early apostles and the early church have to figure out, okay, how do we live now in the light of this momentous event that's happened, which is, which is Jesus coming to earth? How do yeah. we then live? And, um, and uh, N.T. Wright would say, well, we're, and we're living in that fifth act of the play, which is the final act of the play. Right. When, and when Jesus returns, this, history will be over, and that's the end of the story. All right, so Whoa. so that's that's how he so that's the narrative arc of the Bible according to N.T. Wright. So seeing so is made up of lots of different books mm. by lots of different people, all sort of edited and put together. Is the Bible the Word of God, or is it inspired by God? Mm. Um, and seeing so, it's been sort of chopped and changed and translated, and I mean, how can it be the the word of God. Well, yes. I mean, it's a great question. There are we're always, we're always going to come back to that question of what is the Bible? What is it? Um, you know, yeah. Of course, you can say, well, it's a book. It's a compendium of books. It's whatever. Um, but Christians have always wanted to say a bit more than that, right? It's not just like the complete works of Shakespeare. You know, it's not just a. Um, I mean, there. I mean, there are people who who would say that the best way to think about the Bible is to think of it as a literary classic. So a bit like you know the works of Shakespeare or the novels of Dickens or or whatever. Mm. Um, it's sort of in that classic genre. Um, but it. I mean, we don't tend to you know read the works of Shakespeare liturgically, though, right? We don't. You know, there might be no. some society somewhere that does it. And we we don't tend to sort of parade a book of the works of Shakespeare around in church and and make a big thing of it. Um, so so the that idea of a classic which has stood the test of time, you know, and is a great work of literature. Yeah, it's got something to commend it, but it's not 
it doesn't quite capture what what the importance of of the Bible. So so you come down to so what is it? Well, one answer to that question is that it's it's a unique um, uniquely inspired set of writings. Um, so the word inspired, obviously, we, it's a word we use all the time, but it, it it has quite a spiritual connotation to it. It's actually the same word as spirit. So inspire means um uh ah. it means to 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 breathe into right yeah so so in in uh it's in one or two timothy i forget now but it's um it there's a there's a verse that says all scripture is god breathed or inspired by god so breath and right. spirit breath and spirit are the same thing in in uh in uh in greek and in latin actually um so uh so inspire means it's breathed out by God. So some people have taken that verse and thought, well, that means that God sort of dictated the Bible, right? Now uh. we don't really have any evidence for that having happened. <laughs> um I mean, interestingly enough, for Muslims, um, they would say that that Muhammad received words directly from God that he mm. wrote down verbatim, and those words are the word of God. Um, mm. Christians have, yeah, we haven't been qu- gone quite that far because we don't actually have any accounts of people doing that, right? It's more something that we've reflected and thought, well, this is this seems to be of God. I mean, maybe the closest thing we could say is something like the Ten Commandments. So Moses goes up the mountain, he has this encounter with God who's in this cloud. You know, it's very cloud and majesty and awe, as the Christmas carol mm. goes it. And 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 Moses gets this sort of download of these words. Now, is that really what happened? We just don't know. That's how it's presented to us. Um, are the are the Ten Commandments divine? Well, we still live by them, right? As you said in your little yeah. introduction, Rob. You know, we still live by those basic tenets of how to live together. Um, mm. We forget the first one about worshiping God, but we we tend to the <laughs> the ethical commandments like do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not commit adultery. We mm. still tend to live by those things. So 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 in some ways the 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 proof of the pudding is in the is in the societal eating, if you like that those they've proved their worth because they've mm. they've been mm. a reliable guide for centuries. Um, yeah, does that mean that they literally came from the mouth of God? I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, the Bible puts it that way, but then the Bible puts a lot of things in a lot of ways. So we, we mm. just don't know. So, so the best we can really say is that the Bible is in some way inspired by God, that it's some in some way given by God. But, and this is really important, it's not given in a way that bypasses human history, human psychology, human creativity. It's very much a product of human hands as well as of divine breath, mm, is what mm. I would say. And the, the tricky bit is trying to tell the difference. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you, the, problem, and the, the church has never really said, okay, this bit's God speaking, and this bit is some guy thinking about God speaking. It's never really made that distinction. And I think that's quite wise, because who can make that distinction? Mm. All we know is that in this, in this thing that we've got, this phenomenon called the Bible, people have consistently heard God speaking to them and found that it's been a reliable guide for their lives. It's been misused, it's caused pain, it's been misrepresented, misinterpreted, and yet it endures. Um, mm. And, and so, so, so the idea of inspiration is helpful up to a point. Mm. 
I would say that as soon as you start saying, the Bible tells me that I should kill you, then you're probably misusing the idea of inspiration, right? And you, I mean, right. it's yeah. you know because because you've got to then you know weigh it up with 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 the ethics of the Bible itself, which says thou shalt not kill, right? So you yes. know it's yeah. it, it becomes this interesting this interesting thing. But so it's anyway just to to sum that up, the it, it's both divine and human, but in a way that is mysterious, and we'll yeah. never get to the bottom of it. Yes, are we meant to read the Bible literally? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. Again, you know, as well as the Bible having a history of how it was constructed and how it was put together and how it was finalized into the what we call the canon of Scripture, which is the fixed form that it has now, um, as well as that history, there's also um, running alongside that. There's the history of biblical interpretation. Um, So again, this goes way, way back into the Jewish culture where. They they had their texts that were passed down to them, um, and they reflected on them. They read them and reread them in the light of what they were going through, um, and tried to make sense of them. Tried to find in their strength and truth, um, particularly about God, that they could um, make sense of. Um, did they always read them literally? No, they didn't actually. Um, the history of uh, Jewish reading of Scripture is fascinating, um, and often we, as Christians we could do with learning a bit from it. Um, the, the 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 Jews have this tradition called midrash, which is um, a history. It's a sort of secondary literary tradition of reflections on the scriptures. So you would have a passage, say, in the prophet Isaiah, and then you would have a passage in the midrash, which was reflecting on that um, and mm-hmm. asking questions about it and and saying what does it mean and offering interpretations. So there's there's a very lively debate about what the original texts mean. Um, and sometimes they were quite creative um, with their meanings, and they, they saw things as not being literal but metaphorical. And so, mm-hmm. so there's a long tradition of that. Um, to go back to the Reformation, what happened at the Reformation is um, there was a there was a point at which a lot of, for various reasons, a lot of Christians felt that some of our interpretations of Scripture were getting a bit too fanciful, and mm-hmm. were actually and it, and actually were were being corrupted. Um, to the point at which th- we were misusing scripture actually to exploit people, the church was. So the the reformers were like, no, 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 we need to get back to what the original text said and the original meaning. And th- they often talk about the plain sense of scripture. Um, mm. So say rather than than all this fanciful interpretation, what did, what did Jesus actually say? What did the mm. prophet Isaiah actually say? Mm. And get back to the sources, which again is, as I said before, that's, that's why they weren't content with the Greek Bible. They wanted to go back to the original Hebrew mm. and things. Mm. Right? It's a very reformed um, way of thinking. Now, that was great. It was good. It was necessary. But it also bequeathed to us this problem whereby people started reading the Scriptures in a very wooden sense. So, you know, so you've a got this... literal sense. Yeah, or literalistic yeah. sense. So, so yeah. for example, the story of Adam and Eve, you know, it would have been... F- I mean, people people did believe that there probably was an Adam and Eve, and it was it was all that they had really to mm, to believe by mm. the early the the earliest times of of human history. But but of course, you know, no one was there. When I, yeah. You know, no one was there at the beginning of time. You know, nobody knows it, um, what happened, um, and so it would have been reasonably respectable not to really worry too much about a literal Adam and Eve, but to say, well, what does the story mean? 
oh, yeah. it means that human beings screw things up. Well, nobody would disagree with that, right? So, yeah. so, so you're on safer ground thinking about what it means. Whereas after the Reformation, you got this this sort of sense that, well, no, it's all literally true. So we, ha- you know, we have to get back to the sources. We have to get back to the original meaning of things. Therefore, literal Adam and Eve, literal Noah's Ark, you know, mm. all kinds mm. of other stuff, li- you know, literal Ten Commandments coming out of the sky, you know, and tablets mm. of stone. So, um, now, and I'm not, I'm not saying that none of those things happened. I'm just saying that I'm not going to go to the stake over it because I have no way of proving it. So, yeah. So yeah. I, 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 the problem with a literalistic reading of particularly some of the more uh, visionary and imaginative events in the Bible, you've got a heck of a lot of defending to do if you want to claim that those happened in exactly the way that the plain text seems to suggest. Um, mm. And you, you may well be missing the point if you go to the stakeover, was there a literal Adam and Eve? I would say. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think about all that, Rob. Um, I view it as... Um, so it was written by humans, and it mm. was inspired by God. And it was... I view the Bible as humans trying to understand what the heck is going on and what this um, thing we find ourselves in is all about. Um, and I think there's some old myths. Like I think um, the story of Noah's Ark is very, very old. That's an ancient um, story. But I guess what, uh, in terms of the things about Jesus, I think, uh, he definitely lived. I think most historians um, agree that there was definitely a man called Jesus um, and he was tried by the Romans and crucified. Um, so the other bit about whether he rose again, I've come to believe that he did um, for various mm. reasons, which we could probably do a whole podcast on. Yeah, a mixture of myth and truth um and that's the other thing is i believe so you could have a a complete work of fiction but there will be truths within it that are objectively true 100 percent, absolutely do you get that yeah yeah yeah. i i i completely agree with you and i think there's as much truth in novels which are works of fiction as there is in a textbook yeah, because they what a novel can do and what a story can do is it can reveal the truth about what human beings are actually like, you know, mm. Um, mm. in in in, exactly. in in very very subtle ways actually, um, incredibly subtle ways, um, and and that is truth that's worth knowing and it's worth believing in. I think you know, um, I mean, it, I do yeah. struggle with it because you know a lot of people. Uh, we'll point out all the conflicting things uh, within the Bible. But I guess I've learned to view the Bible as a whole overarching narrative. You've got to take the whole package sort of from beginning, middle to end to understand. You can't just take a fragment out of the Bible and say, oh, we're here, Jesus is 
saying you know that we should be violent towards people or something mm. um what's that thing he says about the sword oh i'm i'm here to bring a sword yeah yeah, what yeah. It, what's that so he's talking yeah and and usually the way that's interpreted is that he's talking about the fact that that if you follow jesus it brings division so so some will agree to follow yes. him some will not agree and 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 so it causes division yeah. between people so it's a rather more metaphorical thing because in other places in the Bible, Jesus says, you know, those who live by the sword will die by the sword, you know? And so he's he's pretty nonviolent, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I know what you mean. So plucking a verse out of context here and there just to prove a point is dangerous for anyone to do. Yeah, yeah. So, But Martin, isn't the Bible just a load of made-up nonsense? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that, Rob. <laughs> I can I can do that accent, by the way, because both my parents uh, were from London. Okay. So, uh, that, oh, that's that was right. my lo- <laughs> accent. Oi, oi, vigor! Shat it! <laughs> the Bible. Um, I, yeah. I, no, I'm not allowed to do that because none of my none of my um, family are um, are Cockney objectors. Um, <laughs> the. <laughs> um, it's never as simple as that, you know. There, there is no simple answer to that. And I, I, what I, I think what often lies behind that question is: wasn't the Bible made up by people who just want to control and dupe you into believing in a dangerous fantasy? Right. Mm. To which I would say, no, no, mm. that is not. You know, there's no malicious. Um, you know, you can try and find one if you want, but there, there's no malicious intent behind. The writing, particularly of the New Testament, this you know, mm. nobody is trying to fool you here. What it is is it's it's human beings responding to their experiences of God, to their history and to their culture, and to the appearance on the scene of the most amazing person who ever lived, and and it changed their lives, and they want to tell people about it, and they're desperate to tell people about it now. You could say that in their eagerness to share the good news, they were a bit creative with the truth sometimes. They maybe amplified some things that that didn't quite happen in the way that they reported. Mm. But what you've got to remember is that all ancient literature does that, right? The the idea Mm. that you would write something with no bias to it, with no reason other than reporting the facts in some kind of laboratory experiment... That just didn't even cross people's minds in the ancient world, mm. and actually, it's not even true now, right? We, you know, yeah, I was going to say everybody yeah. has a perspective, so so there is no objective view, um, you know, and even even those scientific um, articles and things that are written and reports and things, um, they always have to be peer reviewed and gone through this rigorous process to try and squeeze out any objectivity. But even, mm. but you know, an honest scientist would admit that, you know, there is no experiment that's not coloured by your expectations of what you expect to mm. see. Mm. You know, you can you can try and screen all that out, but ultimately, there's no escaping it. Um, there's there's a reason for everything. So, so yeah. So that so that question isn't it just a load of made up nonsense? Well. <laughs> You know, you've got to ask yourself what's what's behind that question. Is it because you want to believe that the church is out to get everyone and control everyone? Okay, then that's what you're going to believe about the Bible. If you think that the church genuinely has the good the goodwill of of uh, and the good of human nature and the good of the world at heart, then 
you're gonna you're gonna ask that question for different reasons. Um, I suppose that maybe the question is, you know, with the Bible is, can I trust it? Can I trust it? Um, to which I would answer, well, as a as a as a if you wanted to use it as a science textbook, no, you can't trust mm. it, right? Because it's not what it, it doesn't do mm. that. Um. If you wanted to use it as, uh, you know, like we're saying with the with the reformers and that kind of more fundamentalist view, if you want to see it as an instruction manual for every single part of your life to control it all, can you trust it? No, because it's not trying to do that. It's not trying to control mm. you. Um, um, if you want, if you want the Bible to lead you to life in all its fullness, to lead you to the person who can forgive your sins and lead you into a new life, um, then you can trust the Bible because that's what it's for. Mm. All right, it's a bit like saying, you know, can I can I use a Haynes manual to bake a cake? You know, <laughs> no, right. But that doesn't yes. mean the Haynes manual's untrustworthy, right? It just means you're using it for the wrong purpose. I, you know, that's that's one way of thinking about it. I I remember my one of my first when I was when I had my first communion I think when I was a kid in the Catholic Church I was given a Bible I've mm. got it actually Ta-da. here it is Ooh, very for the benefit colorful. of our listeners I'm holding up it's a nice um, good news Bible with with these color pictures and everything of David and Goliath and all the great stories of the Bible um, and it's it, I've had it all these years but I remember when I got my first own Bible I sat down I thought I'm going to read it from cover to cover. <laughs> And I started at Genesis, <laughs> and I got, I got most, I got, I, think I made it as far as Exodus before I gave well up. <laughs> um, but it, it, I, I found it really hard, you know, because yeah. again, I was trying to read it a bit like a novel, um, and I was also trying to read it through, you know, a whole bunch of different lenses and perspectives. I think. I mean, but I think it's also something that needs to be done in community. Um, one of the one of the things that we inherit from the Reformation is the idea that everybody should be able to read the Bible for themselves, mm. and that's a great strength, right? Because in the old days, like the Bible was, uh, the churches would read the scriptures in Latin, mm. so a lot of people couldn't understand what was being said. Um, the scriptures were kept sort of almost sort of behind a bit of a veil of secrecy. You weren't allowed to interpret it for yourself. It was all done very institutionally. Mm. Now, there was a lot of wisdom to that, but there was also a lot of problems with that. So one of the things, mm. key things at Reformation, is said the Bible needs to be in people's own languages. And there was actually a law passed in England that said there must be a copy of the scriptures in English in each parish church in the land so that people could read the Bible for themselves. Mm. Great. The problem with that is, though, that we got this very individualistic idea of the scriptures, that I can read it in whatever way I want. Mm. As long as I'm reading it for myself, um, then you know I can't go possibly go wrong. Very suspicious of authority, very suspicious of reading um, the Bible in community. Mm. Um, whereas, really, the scriptures are, are, they are the church's book. Mm. They're no one individual's book. They're... they're there's something that we all reflect on together yeah. um, and that shape our life and practice together. So they're very much a communal a communal thing, um, which I think is really important. We need to recapture some of that, I think, um, so that we can read it from other perspectives. You know, So, for example, a mm. woman reading the Bible mm. will read the Bible quite differently to a man. Mm. Mm. Um, a Jew will read it different to uh, you know, a, an Englishman. Mm. Um, a black person will read it different to a white person. You know, mm. a person mm. who's suffered abuse will read it differently to someone who's who's never suffered that. You know, mm. 
So you need all, and there's a growing understanding of that now, that we need all these perspectives on it if we're going to read it um, well and, yeah. and and find the good news within it. You know, it's fascinating stuff. I think um, that's a really important point. And before I was a Christian, I remember reading the Bible and thinking I got a certain passage and certain passages I'd point at and go, look, see, Christianity is just bad and um mm. it wasn't yeah, until yeah. i started going to church and then to bible groups i remember before as a christian the term bible group sent shivers down my spine <laughs> um but actually now i find them really fascinating and because you kind of have this theological look into Scripture was another word that used to send shivers down my back. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and scripture just means sort of the holy Bible, doesn't it? Is that what so, that means? So it mean, yeah. So it mean it means more or less what I've just described: the the church's book, the church's the book that that tells the helps the church to know, to know who it is. So it's it's a communal word, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm a bit I'm more at ease with those. Uh, terms now but but going to the groups i found really fascinating and i got a totally different viewpoint on what i thought and mm. it kind of made me see more clearly um and those yeah those bits that i interpreted all by myself because i'm such a clever bible scholar um you know i got completely wrong <laughs> I, I I took well, them completely out of context and sure. uh, missed the the main message that it was trying to convey. Yeah, and and we've all done that. Um, and that's not, uh, you know again, I'm going to backtrack on myself and say that you know that reading the Bible for yourself is still an incredibly important thing to do. Um, and and I've had God speak to me in life changing ways through being on my own reading the Bible. Mm. Um, but I have then brought those interpretations and those scriptures um, into conversation with others and into community and said, look, this is what I feel God's saying to me. What do you think? Am I barking up the wrong tree here or or what? You know, mm. um, so there's always this uh, sort of dialectic, if you like, yeah. between the individual and, and the communal within, within a healthy expression of Christianity, yeah. um, which means that it, the the individual thing is important because it means we don't just swallow what the church says, and of course the church can get it wrong. Um, so we don't just swallow it because of some kind of authoritarian view. Um, but the, the, what the collective does is it means that we don't uh, we don't turn we we don't become an, a law unto ourselves, right? To use a, a biblical phrase, right? We don't become a law unto ourselves. We test it with other believers and indeed with people out with the church who might have some wisdom to tell us as well. So, so there's always this, this sort of um, symbiotic thing between the individual and the collective. And and that's, that's healthy, I think for anything that we, we do, you know? Mm. Um, and, and then the amazing thing is that despite the Bible's many problems and it's some of the limitations of the previous worldviews, some of the limitations of our own worldview, and despite all the problems that it has, it still nourishes us and it still leads us closer to Jesus, um, which I believe is what it's all about. So, so we still read it um, and we still, we, it, the work of interpretation is never finished, which is a wonderful thing. 
wonderful thing. So op- open-ended thing, I think. Mm, mm. Okay. Let's do another quick fire round. Yay! <laughs> Cue theme music. Is it true? Do I have to believe it all really happened? Do you have to believe it all really happened? No, you don't have to believe it all really happened. Um, but you have to believe that Jesus happened. There you go. Good. Well done. You're getting better and better at this. <laughs> so, conspiracy busting here, Martin. So, the author of the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, promoted the notion that the books of the Bible were decided upon by the Roman Emperor Constantine at the Council of Nicaea. But this is completely untrue, isn't it? Uh, the Council of Nicaea wasn't really about the biblical canon, no. No. Because um, I've heard people say... All the books were just all put together by an emperor. Why? Why should I believe? No, that? there's there's a long a long process of discernment and debate, really, about which which books were. And it took a little while for it to all get settled. Mm. Um, and indeed, now there are there are still still slightly differing versions out there. Okay, last question. Uh, yeah, is, is the Bible relevant to my life? How is it relevant to my life? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I, I would say the Bible is directly relevant to your life, um, partly because it forms part of your culture. If you are a citizen of the human race, and if you're particularly if you're a, a Western modern, it's it's a huge part of your culture. Um, but more than that, it's relevant to your life because it's about the human condition, and it's about how human beings have reached for and longed for divine transcendence and have been addressed by something beyond themselves. Um, It's a record of that in incredible richness. And your life, you will find points of convergence with, uh, with the Bible, I guarantee it, for good or ill. So give it a try. Woohoo! Well done. Let's call that a wrap before you fall asleep. <laughs> Thank you so much. You, I really do appreciate it. You work so hard and uh, you give up your time to do this uh, late at night. So... Um, Thank you very much. Thank you, Rob. It's always a joy to talk about these things. There's much more we could say. For now, you get some sleep and I'll see you next time. You too, Rob. Bless you, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to God Botherers. If you would like to get in touch, please contact us at godbothererspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page. Just search for God Botherers Podcast. It would help us immensely if you could rate, like, subscribe and share our podcast on whatever social media and listening platform you use. Join us next time when we'll be talking about Jesus. Who was he? What did he do? Is he God? Until next time. (laughs) 